0: If you're a politics junkie, you need to be listening to the Election Ride Home podcast. Every day at 5 p.m., former This American Life contributor Chris Higgins reports from the campaign trail. Who's up? Who's down? What issues are getting traction and what do the polls say? Search your podcast app now for Ride Home and subscribe to the Election Ride Home podcast.
1: This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Want to hire top talent? Try ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology finds the right people for you and actively invites them to apply. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com weirddarkness That's ZipRecruiter.com weirddarkness Weird Darkness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Stories and content in Weird Darkness can be disturbing for some listeners and is intended for mature audiences only. Parental discretion is strongly advised. On December 23, 1883, Major Henry Reed Rathbone, retired U.S. military officer and diplomat, murdered his wife while attempting to kill his children. When he realized what he had done, he turned the knife on himself, but his suicide attempt failed. Henry was declared insane and he spent the rest of his life in an insane asylum. What drove this once respected and admired man? to carry out such bloody and violent deeds. Many believe that it was his presence at one of the most tragic events in American history, the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln, and his failure to keep that event from taking place. I'm Darren Marlar and this is Weird Darkness. Welcome, Weirdos – this is Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends, lore, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. If you've not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so right now for free so you don't miss future episodes. And please share a link to this episode with your friends, family, and others via social media or email and invite them to give it a listen as well. Coming up in this episode of Weird Darkness… Is a modern-day wolfman prowling the woods of central England? What compelled young priests in training to commit suicide in Room 2 of Ireland's National Seminary? An Oxford University professor claims aliens are already breeding with humans on Earth. Could he be right? Is it possible that the early Middle Ages, the years 614 through 911 AD, never existed? That's the claim of an extremely controversial theory. A man is convinced his Swedish grandmother continues to look in on him, even years after her death. And after murdering his wife and attempting to kill his children, then unsuccessfully trying to kill himself, Henry Rathbone claimed it was all due to a curse he believed he brought onto himself, which began at the death of the 16th President of the United States. Now bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness. On the night of April 14, 1865, President Lincoln and his wife Mary were scheduled to attend a showing of a play called Our American Cousin at Ford's Theater in Washington. It was supposed to be a night of celebration. The Civil War was finally ending, Confederate General Robert E. Lee had surrendered just days before, and everyone was in high spirits. President Lincoln sent an invitation to General Ulysses S. Grant along with his wife, Julia, to join him at the theater that night. But Grant was unable to attend, so Lincoln sent a second invitation to Major Henry Reed Rathbone, a U.S. military officer and diplomat, and his fiancée, Clara Harris, to join the Lincolns in their private box. Rathbone gladly accepted. The Lincoln party arrived late. The play had already begun, but upon seeing the president and his guests making their way to the box, the audience began to cheer. President Lincoln gave a modest bow, then the couples took their seats. It was shortly after 10 p.m. when John Wilkes Booth, armed with a revolver and knife, entered the box and shot Lincoln in the back of his head. Rathbone sprang to his feet and attempted to prevent Booth from fleeing. The two men struggled, and Booth tried to stab Henry in the chest with a large knife he was carrying but Henry was able to deflect the blade by pushing Booth's arms upwards. The knife plunged into Henry's arm, slashing a deep gash between his elbow and shoulder. Despite the injury, Henry continued fighting with Booth, but the assassin was able to escape by dropping to the stage some 12 feet below. His leg was broken, but he fled the theater. It was then that Henry turned to President Lincoln, who was slumped over in his chair, When he realized how serious his condition was, he hurried to get help. Audience member Dr. Charles Leal, a surgeon, was the first to reach the scene. After discovering a bullet hole in the back of Lincoln's head, he suggested moving the injured man to a nearby boarding house for further examination. Henry and Clara took care of the First Lady as Lincoln was being examined. But then, quite unexpectedly, Henry fainted from a loss of blood. When he recovered, he was taken to his fiancée's home so that his wound could be treated. He didn't respond well to the doctor's efforts. Henry became delirious, talking about the shooting and his failure to apprehend Booth. Unlike President Lincoln, Henry recovered from his wounds – his physical ones, anyway. He and Clara would both have a very difficult time dealing with the memories of the tragedy in the years to come. For instance, Clara made the peculiar decision to pose for a photographer Matthew Brady while wearing the dress that she had on the night of the assassination. It was still crusted with Henry's dried blood. Afterward, she placed the dress in the back of her closet and later had it entombed behind a brick wall at her parents' home. In 1867, Henry and Clara were married, and he retired from the army a few years later. The marriage turned out to be a volatile one largely due to the post-traumatic stress that Henry suffered from. As the years passed, he became increasingly unstable, plagued by health problems, including chronic heart palpitations. After Henry's retirement, he moved his family to Germany. If they were hoping that a fresh start would help their marriage or Henry's precarious mental health, they were tragically mistaken. Two days before Christmas, in 1883, Henry went into a rage and, gripping a revolver and knife in his hands, made his way to the bedroom of his children. He had become convinced that they needed to die. Clara tried to stop him, but he shot her and then stabbed her to death. When he saw what he had done, Henry stabbed himself in the chest five times. However, the wounds did not prove fatal. The broken man never stood trial for his wife's murder. He was declared insane and was sent to the Provincial Insane Asylum where he died in 1911 at the age of 74. But that was not quite the end of the story. In 1910, the year before his father's death, Henry Riggs Rathbone, the oldest of Henry and Clara's children, reportedly broke down the brick wall at his grandparents' cottage that his mother had built decades before to shut out the past he recovered the blood-stained dress that she had left there and burned it in the yard. It was an end, he hoped, to the Rathbone family curse. Up next is a modern-day wolfman prowling the woods of central England. What compelled young priests in training to commit suicide in room two of Ireland's National Seminary? An Oxford University professor claims aliens are already breeding with humans on Earth. Could he be right? These stories and more when Weird Darkness returns. Want to become an official Weirdo? Official Weirdos get the commercial-free version of Weird Darkness with each episode, and exclusive news and offers for patrons only. Higher tiers get even more, like audiobooks, chapter by chapter as I narrate them before they even get published for retail, and other tiers get Weird Darkness merchandise. Learn more about becoming an official weirdo today at WeirdDarkness.com.
0: Here's an honest question. How are you supposed to know what to do with your money? Very few of us are exposed to meaningful advice on how to manage our finances. Even fewer have the means to get professional financial guidance. Betterment is a platform that was built to do something radical, to give accessible financial advice that puts you first. If you're like most Americans, your money is probably sitting in a savings account, likely earning you next to nothing. Maybe you have an investment account that you're not really sure what to do with. Betterment can help you make sense of what to do with your money. Investing involves risk, but you don't have to know the ins and the outs of the stock market to start investing for your future. Betterment's technology will put your money to work, choosing the stocks and strategies that are right for you, because we know you have other things to do. Betterment's platform can even provide guidance on what financial goals make sense for you. Give your money a new home with Betterment, peace of mind included. Download the Betterment app today. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T
1: for the betterment of you. You want the best sleep of your life? Well, I've already told you about how much I love my pillow, but now they have these incredible Giza Dreams bed sheets. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza, which is only grown in a small region where the Sahara Desert, Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River all meet to create the ideal weather conditions for growing Giza cotton. It's ultra soft, it's breathable, it stays cool. Also, it's very durable. The Giza sheets are available in a variety of different colors, I went with dark gray for mine, and they come with both a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. I'm sleeping on these Giza Dreams bed sheets right now and I can honestly say the first night you sleep on these sheets, you will not want to sleep on anything else. These even beat out the 1,500 thread count sheets that I was using before. But right now Weird Darkness listeners can save 30% and get free shipping when you use the promo code WEIRD at MyPillow.com, or you can call 800-945. Again, use the promo code WEIRD for 30% off your new bed sheets, including free shipping at mypillow.com. Hearing dark stories in a podcast is one thing, but living in darkness is quite another. If you're living with depression and trying to deal with it using alcohol, illegal drugs, or other bad influences, there is a way out of the dark. Call one 800 273 8255. With the FMLA, you can even take a leave of absence from your job and return to it once you found help. 1 800 273 8255. That's 1 800 273 8255. Wolfman? prowling around the woods of central England? The saga began in March 2007 when a paranormal investigations group, the West Midlands Ghost Club, found itself on the receiving end of something extremely weird and surely unanticipated. A stash of reports of werewolf-like beasts seen lurking among the old gravestones of the Cannock Chase's German military cemetery. It is a large cemetery. the remains of almost 5,000 German soldiers and airmen are held. During both the First and Second World Wars, numerous German military personnel were captured and transferred to prisoner of war camps across the UK. Many of those same military personnel died during the hostilities and were buried in cemeteries and graveyards closest to where they were previously imprisoned. In 1959, however, The governments of the UK and Germany reached an agreement which resulted in the remains of the 4,929 Germans who died on British soil all being transferred to one specific location, the then newly constructed Cannock Chase German Military Cemetery. Such was the interest that the Wolfman-like reports provoked. Mike Lockley, the then-editor of the local and now defunct newspaper The Chase Post, gave the story a great deal of page space, to the extent that the publicity brought in even more reports. For around three months, the good folk of the Canic Chase found themselves plunged into a controversy that had at its heart sinister shape-shifting monsters that lurked among the long dead. It was a controversy that very soon was destined to become filled with terror and hysteria. The morphing monsters of the Canic Chase were not typical of the old legends, however. In other words, this was most assuredly not a case of witnesses reporting people changing into werewolves, or vice versa. No, they were wolf-like creatures that had the ability to alter their body structure, thus allowing them to walk on both four legs and two. One of the earliest reports referenced in the Stafford Post newspaper on April 26, 2007, in an article titled, Werewolf Spotted in Stafford, came from a local postman who, while riding his motorbike past the cemetery on one particular sunny morning, caught sight of what at first he thought was a large dog walking around the cemetery. It was not a dog at all. It was a walking nightmare. The man was amazed and more than a little concerned by what he could see was a wolf. But it was a wolf of extraordinary size. The wild wolves have reportedly been extinct in the United Kingdom since 1680, which made matters even more amazing. That was the year in which one Sir Ewan Cameron killed a wild wolf in Perthshire, Scotland, quite possibly the very last wild wolf in the entire UK. Granted, there have been sporadic reports of wolves still inhabiting some of the less-traveled and even less-inhabited parts of the country. Nothing, however, has even surfaced conclusively to demonstrate that wolves have lived in the wilds of the UK since the 17th century. But try telling that to the beasts of a certain cemetery. And good luck telling that to the witnesses, too. As the man slowed his bike down to a complete stop, He stared in awe and fear as the bulky animal prowled around the gravestones and making it abundantly clear to the man that this was no husky dog or something similar. The stone-cold facts hit the man suddenly and hard. There was a wolf on the kennick chase. As the witness watched, entranced, with his heart practically pounding out of his chest, something terrifying and unearthly happened. The wolf caught sight of the man froze and stared intently in his direction, its eyes firmly locked on him for a few terrifying seconds. It was then that the body of the four-legged animal began to change, to mutate. The postman could only sit and watch, near paralyzed to the spot, as the hind legs of the wolf started to grow in length. Oddly, and for a second or several, the creature became blurry to the eye as its form began to change. Then, with its legs now very much resembling those of a human in shape, the beast reared up on its morphed limbs and took on a bipedal stance. Not surprisingly, all the man could think of was… werewolf. Fortunately for the witness, the creature raced into the heart of the woods and within seconds was gone. It was soon destined to return, however. Only weeks later, yet another encounter in the cemetery. This time, the witness was the leader of a local scout's troop. He, too, had the distinct misfortune to cross paths with the monster. And also, as was the case with the postman's experience, the witness at first assumed that he was seeing a wolf, perhaps one which had escaped from a private zoo, he initially thought. That theory went completely out the window, though, when the animal shapeshifted into a hairy humanoid form, rose up onto its back legs, and to a height of around seven feet, and charged off into the darkened depths of the surrounding trees. In another case, a woman from the nearby town of Rugli described seeing such a monster barely a two-minute drive from the cemetery late one night in July 2007. On this occasion, the creature was in its upright werewolf form and stood near the edge of a tree-shrouded small lane as she approached it. She brought her car to a complete halt and, gripping the steering wheel, watched as it was enveloped in a blue haze, took on that blurry appearance described by the postman of just a couple of months earlier, altered its body shape, and dropped down onto all fours. In seconds, it was gone, and so was the woman who quickly drove home in a state of ice-cold terror. As is so often the situation in cases like this one, The mystery came to a sudden halt. The beast was gone and, so far, has never returned. Almost every Irish person has been told some form of a ghost story from their granny or granddad, the Irish Mirror wrote, in a recent roundup of the most haunted places in Ireland or even witnessed one themselves," it said. In Ireland, imposing castle walls and ivory-covered manors loom like gray ghosts in the warm glow of the modern world. It is a culture where folklore from the country's ancient pagan roots is interwoven with centuries of Roman Catholic superstition to create a unique culture in which fairies may swap your wife or child for a changeling, an evil look-alike and its common knowledge that the devil lurks in Loftus Hall. Even within the hallowed walls of St. Patrick's College, Ireland's National Seminary in Maynooth, where priests have been trained for over 200 years, a malicious spirit seems to have taken up residence. The story of the ghost room was related to me by Pedrig Lawler, a scholar of theology and Irish history who studied at Maynooth University. During his time there, he gleaned the ghastly details of the legend from his professors, as well as in the environment where the story really came to life in the pubs, where it was retold by locals who had a few too many pints of Guinness. The history department, where Padraig spent a considerable amount of time, is headquartered in a building known as the Rhetoric House. Today, the university and the seminary share a campus. But when Rhetoric House was built in 1834, it served as a residence for priests in training. The Ghost Room, officially designated Room 2, is located on the same floor as the history professor's offices. It is a predominantly empty room with a small altar covering the only window. A statue of St. Joseph, the patron saint of peaceful death, occupies the altar. You can still see what appears to be bloodstains on the wooden floor," Padraig told me. The first suicide happened in the early 1840s. The gruesome scene was discovered after the resident of Room 2 missed the day's lectures. When his friends went looking for him, they found him in his room, soaking in a pool of his own blood from a self-inflicted gash across his throat. Room 2 was vacant for the rest of the year. The following year, the room was assigned to a new, unwitting young man who, shockingly, was found dead under the exact same circumstances, throat slashed and razor in hand. Sometime after that, another resident of room two was found lying on the ground outside Rhetoric House after he jumped from the third-floor window. He was still alive, though barely. Before succumbing to his injuries, The student told college authorities that he had seen a demonic face in the mirror that morning. He then became compelled by a powerful urge to end his life and grabbed his razor uncontrollably. Struggling against what he believed was a demonic force manipulating him to cut his own throat, he threw himself through the window to make it stop. After this incident, A priest spent a night in the room hoping to determine what was causing young men to kill themselves. According to the legend, he was so horrified by whatever he experienced that when he emerged the following morning, his hair had gone completely white. He was never able to speak about what he encountered that night. At the time, suicide was regarded as a horrifying sin, Pedreg said. The matter was covered up by the college and the students were buried in an unconsecrated part of the college cemetery away from the other graves. Room two was closed and eventually converted into the oratory it is today. It is also used as the history department's workroom, so if you need to make copies or pick up your graded history exam, you'll have to contend with whatever evil may still be lurking. But don't bring any mirrors into the ghost room, hoping to see the demonic presence because according to rumor, that is strictly forbidden. When paranormal researcher Hans Holzer investigated the room with psychic Sybil Leake, they felt fear and the desire to run, as well as a strong presence around the statue of St. Joseph. Sybil also received the impression of a four-legged creature. An Oxford University professor has claimed aliens are already breeding with humans to create a new hybrid species that will save our planet. Dr. Young-hae Chi, an instructor in Korean at Oxford's Oriental Institute, part of the prestigious university, thinks this new species will save Earth from annihilation from climate change. Dr. Chi first said the hybrids may already exist in a lecture in 2012 but has now written a book on the subject. He believes there is a strong correlation between climate change and alien abductions, the Oxford Student Newspaper reported. His book, written in Korean, is called Alien Visitations and the End of Humanity. He says he has identified four types of aliens – small, tall, and bold, scaly with snake eyes, and insect-like. Dr. Chi believes the insect aliens may be in charge and give orders to the other types. The aliens exist in their own biosystem that humans cannot experience because our perception is limited by our organs, the professor claims. As the aliens are said to be highly intelligent, so Dr. Chi believes they could solve the problems on Earth in the future, such as climate change. He said, so they come not for the sake of us but for the sake of them, their survival, but their survival is actually our survival as well, the survival of the entire biosphere." Dr. Chi said he was still looking for more evidence to support his view. His initial lecture, Alien Abduction and the Environmental Crisis, outlined his theory. He cited an abduction researcher in the U.S. who argued that aliens' primary purpose is to colonize the planet by interbreeding with humans to produce a new hybrid species. Dr. Chi believes aliens appear on Earth when the planet is facing significant problems, such as climate change or nuclear war, and he concluded, it may be more or less assumed that the hybrid project is a response to this impending demise of human civilization. When Weird Darkness returns, is it possible that the early Middle Ages, the years 614 through 911 AD, never existed? That's the claim of an extremely controversial theory. A man is convinced his Swedish grandmother continues to look in on him, even years after her death. These stories are up next. Looking for Weird Darkness merchandise? You can check out all the designs for t-shirts, mugs, phone and laptop cases, stickers, tote bags, pillows, and more. Click on the Store tab at WeirdDarkness.com. Real life is always scarier than fiction, and if you are drowning in debt and you owe money to the IRS, that's absolutely terrifying. I should know, early in our marriage Robin and I ended up owing the IRS $10,000. We thought we'd lose the house, well, Here in 2019, the IRS recently hired private debt collection agencies to start collecting your outstanding taxes. They already have the power to garnish your wages and put liens on your property and start collecting your outstanding taxes by levying your bank account. Fortunately you have something that I didn't. There are new IRS tax forgiveness programs that can help you free yourself from these debt collectors. Call Civic Tax Relief at 800-590-5579 to protect you from the IRS collection agencies. That's 800-590-5579. Stop the added fees and wage garnishments and finally break free from the IRS. Call Civic Tax Relief for free information right now to take your life back with their Fresh Start program. They continually get four-star reviews from people that they've helped, and now they can help you. The call is free, the consultation is free, the information is free. They could save you thousands of dollars and keep the IRS at bay. Call Civic Tax Relief at 800-590-5579. That's 800-590-5579. 590 5579 one of the most intriguing and highly controversial theories dealing with ancient history is without doubt the phantom time hypothesis. According to this unconventional and thought-provoking theory, the Middle Ages, years 614 through 911 AD, never existed. Why? Because the Western calendar was somehow misdated. The phantom time hypothesis was developed by German scientist Heribert Illig. Another German researcher, Hans Ulrich Niemitz, expanded on this theory after he accidentally learned of the problem of faked documents in the Middle Ages. In his science paper, Did the Early Middle Ages Really Exist?, Dr. Hans Ulrich Niemitz points out that we can find medieval falsifications in every kind of document. There are literally thousands of recognized forgeries from the Middle Ages. People forged wills, history texts, land deeds, and more. The church itself falsified documents and relics on a regular basis as well. It should also be added that since people didn't own any clocks, they couldn't track the days like we do today. To find out what day it was, they simply asked a priest. These are facts that speak in favor of the phantom time hypothesis. The easiest way to understand doubts about the accepted chronology and well-known history is to seriously systemize the problems of medieval research. This will lead us to detect a pattern which proves my thesis and gives reason to assume that a phantom period of approximately 300 years has been inserted between 600 A.D. to 900 A.D., either by accident, by misinterpretation of documents, or by deliberate falsification. This period and all events that are supposed to have happened therein never existed. Buildings and artifacts ascribed to this period really belong to other periods, says Dr. Hans Ulrich Niemitz. The reason why the Western calendar was misdated was because Holy Roman Emperor Otto III in collusion with Pope Sylvester II, wanted to celebrate the end of the first millennium 297 years earlier. By examining several curious historical gaps, the scientists were able to elaborate further on the phantom time hypothesis. We looked for gaps in special reports and publications, also for periods of stagnation or strange events repeated in similar manner after approximately 300 years. I only refer to some of the great number of puzzles. A gap in the history of building in Constantinople, 558 AD to 908 AD. A gap in the doctrine of faith, especially the gap in the evolution of theory and meaning of purgatory, 600 AD until 1100. A 300-year-long reluctant introduction of farming techniques, three-acre system, horse with comet, and of war techniques, stirrup. A gap in the mosaic art, 565 AD to 1018 AD, a repeated beginning of the German orthography, etc., etc. The puzzles of historiography led the way, pointing out again and again the gap which we soon termed phantom time. One of the most startling proposals is that Charlemagne, also known as Charles the Great and widely recognized as the father of Europe, was a fictional character who lived in an imaginary time. According to Dr. Hans Ulrich Niemitz, there are two reasons why the fakers needed a phantom time of 297 years. Hypothesis 1 states that Otto III didn't live accidentally around the year 1000 AD. He himself had defined this date. He wanted to reign in that year because this suited his understanding of Christian millenniarism. He defined this date with the help of his famous and well-versed friend Gerbert de Aurelac, later Pope Sylvester II. In reality, they lived approximately 700 years after the birth of Jesus Christ, but never until then had the years been reckoned after Christ. Perhaps unaware of their error, without intending to falsify, they defined one special year as 1000 A.D. Consequently, chroniclers had to invent 300 years of history to fill up the empty periods, but a great occasion for dynasties and kings. Hypothesis 2 states that Constantine VII of Byzantium AD, organized a complete rewriting of the whole Byzantine history. So is the Phantom Time Hypothesis really true? We don't know. It's impossible to tell at this time because this theory requires much more research. What we can say is that if the phantom time hypothesis is correct, then our calendar year was increased by 297 years without the corresponding passage of time, which would mean that our current year is not 2019, but 1722. My granny Nicholas was an amazing woman who had fought in the Dutch resistance during the Second World War and had met my granddad during the liberation of Holland. They got married and settled in England after the war and brought up their family in my hometown of Boston. She played a big part in helping to bring me up when my parents' marriage broke up. My sister and I would often stay at her bungalow and sleep in a big double bed. When it was our bedtime, she'd come into the room and say our prayers and buff up our pillows and say, snug as a bug in a rug. As we grew up, she would tell us all sorts of strange ghost stories related to her own experiences. She always claimed to have a sixth sense to see ghosts because she was the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter. In 1993, I moved to the Doncaster area and taught history at a local school in Mexborough. I met a local girl and settled down in Besikar, and had my own family. My grandmother always loved children, and my mom would often bring her to the house to visit. Unfortunately, she suffered from dementia, but as soon as I put my baby daughter Rebecca into her arms, she would awaken and come back into herself. It was a strange and beautiful thing to see. On the night of her death, my mom rang to let me know that she was close to passing away. I had popped down a few days before to hold her hand and say goodbye, and as I lay in bed at about 10.45, I felt a presence come into our house. It first went into my young son's room, who woke up, briefly cried, and then as quickly stopped. It then went to my baby daughter's room, and she also woke up, briefly cried, and then as quickly stopped. And then it came into my room. I felt the presence of my gran kiss against my cheek, and in my mind I heard her say, as snug as a bug in a rug. The phone then went off. It was my mom letting me know that my gran had just passed away. It can be very easy to dismiss these sorts of experiences as wishful thinking, but several years later, both my Granny Kay and my sister, who lived in Seattle, reported similar experiences. My Granny Kay was pretty much chair-bound and often could only sleep sat up because of her breathing problems. At night, her carers would make her comfortable and would turn off the television at the socket as she was always worried about an electrical fire. Shortly before my Granny Kay died, she told me several strange things which had happened to her, but she told me that on the night of my Granny Nicholas's death, her TV had turned on and my Gran appeared on the television outside of my mom's house where she had died, waving goodbye. I then told her about my experience. Spine-tingling, my sister told me exactly the same story. But in her case, she was doing some housework at the time in her home, thousands of miles away in Seattle. Occasionally, our new house is still occasionally visited by a presence, which I like to think is my gran popping in to check on me. If you like what you just heard, it's free to subscribe to this podcast. Please also share a link to this episode on your social media and email so others can hear it as well. Do you have a dark tale to tell? Fact or fiction, you can share your story at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. Also on the website, you can join the Weird Darkness Weirdos Facebook group to hang out with me and other listeners of the podcast, or you can drop me an email on the contact page and if you're listening via Apple Podcasts that's iTunes, and you leave a review, I might read it here in an upcoming podcast. Me221498 left an Apple Podcast review saying, Can't thank you enough so much. Please, everyone listen to the show. Once you hear it, you will be hooked, I promise. I got another podcast review from CIGCIHVBKV, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that, but they said, I love it. So 12 O's, by the way, so good. Really nice stories, helps me get to bed, keep it up. And also one of my official weirdos, my patrons, DJ Flowers, said, Hey Darren, I was wondering if you still have the pay it forward poster thing that we could print off. You know, the one where we pay for the person behind us in line? I've been really wanting to print them. Well, uh, DJ, thank you. I, I really thought that idea was a bust. Uh, I called it Scare It Forward – it's something that you can print out, use at a fast-food drive-thru or something like that to promote weird darkness and also brighten somebody's day at the same time. Since you asked, I have placed it on the website at the bottom of the right-hand column so that you and anybody else can check it out. All stories of this episode are purported to be true, and you can find source links or links to the authors in the show notes. Something Sinister at a Cemetery was written by Nick Redfern. The Ghost Room of Maynooth was written by Charlie Hintz. Are Aliens Breeding with Humans was written by John Rogers. The Phantom Time Hypothesis was written by Ellen Lloyd. The Assassination Curse was written by Troy Taylor. And The Seventh Daughter of the Seventh Daughter was written by Roy for Your Ghost Stories. Weird Darkness is a registered trademark of Marler House Productions. Copyright Marler House Productions 2019. And now that we're coming out of the dark, I'll leave you with a little light. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. And a final thought. Apologizing does not always mean you are wrong and the other person is right. It just means you value your relationship more than your ego. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marler. Thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness. The newest audiobook on the audiobooks page at WeirdDarkness.com is Murderous Minds Volume 4 – Stories of Real-Life Murderers That Escaped the Headlines. Tales of murder and darkness have a way of both terrifying and enthralling us. The line between man and monster is never as definitive or sturdy as we'd like to think. When seemingly ordinary people cross the line between normal behavior and violent acts, it raises the question, what were they thinking? Can your own mind be the key to becoming a monster? What we think, or more importantly what we believe, can push the boundaries of normal into darkness in unimaginable ways. Whether the beliefs come from misinterpreting organized religion, holding too tightly to old folklore, or letting your imagination run wild, the danger is evident for those unable to keep their minds in check. Murderous Minds Volume 4 follows six chilling stories of faith and imagination gone too far. It's a dangerous reality that has reappeared decade after decade with deadly results for those unfortunate enough to wander too close to the flame. The killers of this anthology have the charisma to convince others of impossible things and the insanity to hold those beliefs themselves. These belief systems come at a high price, especially for the victims of belief-motivated crimes. What old-world folklore would drive a man to murder his wife in front of her family? What happens? when two teenage girls believe their parents are the only thing stopping them from ruling in another dimension? How did a middle-aged housewife convince an entire community that it was a psychic gift predicting the deaths of her neighbors rather than deliberate doses of arsenic? Does the fear of witchcraft still put lives in danger decades after it stopped being tried in court? These stories and others explore the ways that the human mind Can be manipulated into carrying out unfathomable acts of violence and depravity under the guise of strong indoctrinated beliefs. When evil can come from inside your own head, family, friends, neighbors, and even strangers are not safe. Get your copy today and see how these six tales of strange beliefs turned into horrific murders. Murderous Minds Volume 4 Stories of Real-Life Murderers That Escaped the Headlines. Written by Kelly Gaines and Ryan Becker. Narrated by Weird Darkness host Darren Marlar. Hear a free sample of the audiobook on the audiobook's page at WeirdDarkness.com.